Well, some would say that servants refer to this is um, a different term is used here. And actually, uh, you don't get this in all translations, but actually David Stern did a good job of this. He put household servants, a different term, in chapter 2, verse 18. It's virtually synonymous, or the fact of the matter is it's different than verse, than verse 16. Verse 18 is, it might possibly render it slaves, but it's probably more accurate to render it servants or domestics, or how, as he put it, household servants. Now, slave is not the best translation with all that implies in today's world. But the fact of the matter, slavery was never an ideal state to be in. It was often throughout much of history, as bad as it could be, it was often less degrading of an institution than it was in the United States in the 18th and 19th centuries. They said that the, the Romans conquered the Greeks and the Greeks conquered the Romans because the Romans were generally not thinking people compared to the Greeks. And so they often would have Greek, you'd often have a Roman aristocrat, you'd have a Greek You'd have a Greek servant to or slave to um, to tutor your to teach your children because they know they were the thinking people. So it wasn't always as dehumanizing as it had been in the United States. The institution of slavery, as most of Kefa's readers would be familiar with it, was I guess I'm not saying there were not terrible situations sometimes with it, but it was a preferable system to the American institution of slavery. Again, this doesn't eliminate the fact that servitude, even when it is not necessarily a lifetime, a lifetime, lifelong, involuntary, inhumane nature, it is still not an ideal state to be in. In the United States, we had a um, three-fifths clause where basically slaves were only treated as three-fifths of a person. And there's reasons why that compromise was made in that situation. But it's an institution which allowed that. One of the main arguments for those who didn't want to abolish slavery was these property rights. They said, we paid, we paid good money for these slaves. And how are we compensated if you want to take it away? So it was, it was um, in some ways, slaves would be treated more akin to, um, if you damage someone's car, you're not prosecuted for murder, but you damage my property. So... So, but it wasn't always a, that dehumanizing of an institution. But it's not an ideal state. No matter how enlightened a situation of slavery you had, it's not an ideal state to be in. Our people know all too well, as we, lest we forget, we remind ourselves every year at Pesach that few things should be cherished more than deliverance from bondage. Kepha does not instruct servants Excuse me, he does. Wrong place word. He does instruct servants to respectfully and fearfully subject themselves to their masters. A similar situation is in Ephesians 6, 5 and following. It says, Slaves, obey your human masters with the same fear, trembling, and single-heartedness with which you obey the Messiah. Don't obey just to win their favor, serving only when they are watching you, but serve as slaves of the Messiah, doing what God wants with all your heart. Without Work willingly as slaves, as people do who are serving not merely human beings, but the Lord. Remember that whoever does good work, whether he be slave or free man, will be rewarded by the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember that in heaven, both you and they have the same master, 
and he has no favorites. This is similar to what Kepha is writing about. We saw last Shabbat, 2.17, it is God's will. It is God's will that we honor the king or emperor, and lower authorities deserve respect also. Probably even more to the point, however, is Colossians in chapter 3 of Colossians, 3.22. It says, slaves, obey your human masters in everything, not serving only when they're watching you to win favor, but single heartedly, fearing the Lord. Whatever you work, whatever work you do, put yourself into it as those who are serving not merely other people, but the Lord. Remember that as your reward, you will receive the inheritance from the Lord. You are slaving for the Lord, for the Messiah. Don't worry, whoever is doing wrong will be paid in kind for his wrong. And there is no favoritism shown. The domestic's proper submission, or household servant, as it's rendered in the Jewish New Testament, the domestic's proper submission to his master can be a sign of reverence for God and an acknowledgement of his sovereignty and providential control of our lives and our ultimate destinies. It's not a fun thing to contemplate, but the servant is encouraged to submit even to harsh and not always so reasonable masters, not only the good and kind ones. Anyone here, I'm not asking for names, anyone here ever had to work even temporary a job or been in a situation that had a supervisor that wasn't the greatest person to walk the, to walk the face of the earth? Okay, well we want mercy from God, but then sometimes we might, so, but I don't, I didn't need to show the same patience. Well, we may have to for those in authority over us. For society at large, slaves were not full persons and thus did not have moral responsibility. But here, Kepha's showing moral responsibilities, asking not of just those in authority, but those in submission. In the faith community, all are brothers and sisters, and the reverence and fear is directed to God, not to the masters. Thus, the motive for submission and service is your respect for God. So if you say, well, the person I'm in a, an authority over me doesn't necessarily deserve it, it's not the greatest person, your submission is because of your reverence for God. Kepha's writing in a time of persecution in which slaves would be especially vulnerable and in which our own people in the Roman Empire were not always treated the greatest we're sometimes called upon to subject ourselves to situations and conditions which are plainly and simply unfair. To those who face such circumstances, Yaakov in his epistle says, 2, 12, and 13, keep speaking and acting like people who will be judged by a Torah which gives freedom. For judgment will be about mercy toward one who doesn't show mercy, but mercy wins out over judgment. Let's look at 1 Kepha 2.19 says, For it is a grace when someone, because he is mindful of God, bears up under the pain of undeserved punishment. So Kepha now lets us know. He lets us know what true favor, true grace is. He writes about a consciousness or mindfulness or spiritual awareness of God. This consciousness is something which means that those who are so favored 
will be prompted to correct action. Correct action due to your awareness of God's presence and God's will. Kepha does not say that it is pleasing to God merely to endure unjust suffering and the accompanying sorrow. Rather, it is only such action endured while it is mindful or mindful of God or more accurately because he is conscious of God. Having to endure unjust afflictions is not something the prospect of which we look upon with great joy. I hope you don't look upon it with great joy. When submissive loyalty is called for, however, a non-complaining or non-quetching persistent subjection is a Messiah-like attitude and Messiah-like action. This is especially the case for those with certain afflictions which they must, which must, which must endure, and sometimes which is clearly unjust. Regarding the Tashli service, we Symbolically, we empty our pockets, we cast off our sins. A commentator wrote, God is, un regarding this service, God is unlike any other power in the world. He patiently bears insult and sustains life that is used, it stays like, he excuse me, he patiently endures insult and he sustains life that is used against him in the hope that man will repent. Every man should emulate this attribute by training himself to be patient, to bear insult, and even to bestow kindness upon those who abuse him. We may say, well, they don't deserve that patience. Well, did we deserve the patience from God? Did we deserve his forgiveness? In chapter 3, in 1 Kepha, we're looking at chapter 2 today, but in a few verses in chapter 3, 13 through 17 says, 3, 13 through 17 says, For who will hurt you if you become zealots for what is good? But even if you do suffer for being righteous, you are blessed. Moreover, don't fear what they fear or be disturbed, but treat the Messiah as holy, as Lord in your hearts, while remaining always ready to give a reasoned answer to anyone who asks you to explain the hope you have, yet with humility and fear. Keeping your conscience clear so that when you are spoken against, those who abuse the good behavior flowing from your union with the Messiah may be put to shame. For if God has in fact willed that you should suffer, it is better that you suffer for doing what is good than for doing what is evil. Messianic servants may have a higher status than others, but higher status is not to lead to a demand to always to receive one's rights. For what wins God's favor is enduring or bearing up under injustice? Not because there is no other option or because of their optimistic, just because we're an optimistic character, but because we know this pleases God and conforms to the teaching of Yeshua. Now we have, Baruch Hashem, we have, we are in a society where there often is a, a process for redress of grievances, for com, for appropriate complaints when going to higher authorities, when authorities are not just with us, which they didn't have at that time. But sometimes, at least in the short term, it does in call for enduring, for, for patient endurance in unjust circumstances. Then verse 20, 
First Kepha, verse 20, the last verse we'll look at today, it says, For what credit is there in bearing up under a beating you deserve for doing something wrong? But if you bear up under punishment, even though you have done what is right, God looks on it with favor. Rav Shaul was a man who endured years of unjust imprisonment. That's just the point. If he had been in prison as the rightful consequence of truly criminal activity on his part, what true honor would there be in such imprisonment? Would he be a truly righteous sufferer? Would he be a real tzaddik? Would his time in prison be an example of his status as a righteous one? Of course not. We know that in reality, Rav Shaul did not endure suffering due to his sin. He suffered for the cause of the word of God. And this included being physically beaten. His good friend, Shimon Kepha, warns us that any suffering which we must endure should be for doing that which is right, not just punishment for our sins or falling short. This calls for self-examination, something which we hopefully have been doing a lot of regularly. I recall a position I had I had a lot, uh, I worked for a while in temporary jobs, I was a substitute teacher, so I had a lot of people, I'd, um, I'd have bosses for short periods of time, so I had a lot of bosses um, in other jobs, but um, I remember one position I felt it was quite a, quite, I'd received what I thought was quite an unfair evaluation. And eventually, although not immediately, he decided to step down from that position. It was job when I was in graduate school, and um, it was extra income which I could use, but decided it wasn't worth the investment. I lost, actually, that situation, I lost respect for my superiors. But despite the unfairness of the evaluation, if I truly and subjectively had examined myself and my job performance of the period immediately preceding the evaluation, even though I did think it was unfair, I did in some ways slack off in my efforts. And I had not maintained as high of standards for myself as I should have. So even though I thought it was unfair in many ways, um, I might have done more to make myself more blameless in, the, blameless in the situation. And maybe the evaluation wouldn't have been forthcoming. Well, some of what I had to endure, as I said, was quite unfair. It was, I was hardly an innocent sufferer. We need to ask ourselves, without absolving those who inflict unjust ordeals, just how innocent we are in the midst of our sufferings. If we are, in part at least, in the wrong, we must right the wrongs. And that's hard to do. If you receive, if, if you receive criticism that you think is 90% unfair, it's hard to say, you know, that's unfair, but what? Can I learn from this? There was, I remember meeting once um, two organizations in our movement that had had, um, that had had tension between them. And one person who was talking about, he said, if each side would get to the point where they could admit, I'm 90%, he may have said 95% even, I'm 90% right, but they might be at least 10% right. He said that would have been an improvement. So we must do what we can to right the wrongs. To the extent, however, that we must endure suffering for doing what is right, such is a favor, is, well, is true favor with God. 
true grace God has bestowed upon us. It's not the easiest thing to thank you, God, for the, for the unjust suffering. But thank you, God, that I didn't deserve it. This may be something, the nomination for which you would rather decline. Like Tevye saying, I know we're the chosen people, but couldn't once in a while choose someone else? Any significant amount of this kind of endurance is only possible if we will have the consciousness of God, which Kepha mentioned earlier. We are servants of, and we prayed, Avinu Shabbayim, our Father in heaven, and Avinu Malkeinu, our Father, our King. We cannot argue that Shimon Kepha's teaching does not concern us, since servanthood or slavery, in the, what we usually think of as slavery, is a thing of the past. There are in life comparable positions in business or in household or in college and in congregations sometimes in which others are set over us. It is in our calling to be submissive and cooperative and uncomplaining even if, even if pained by unfair treatment. And this is within the, con within the context of redressing grievances, it's appropriate. But there's time when sometimes we need to bear up and ask, pray for patience. It's been written that patient endurance of unjust suffering is an act that finds favor with God in which he smiles his approval. And may Hashem smile upon our endurance with approval. Shabbat Shalom.